Uh, we've been in a series of messages on the book of Galatians where we're walking verse by verse through the book of Galatians, and we arrive today at what I can only call a startling and shocking passage of Scripture. In fact, when you really understand what's being said here, you almost want to say, did he really say that? Is he allowed to say that? And it's, it's really important that we be careful this morning not to miss it, all right? We are a Bible-believing church. That is, we believe that when the Word of God is preached, God's voice is heard. Do you believe that? you believe that when, when, when we read God's Word and when we hear God's Word truly preached, God is speaking to us? And so we believe that all Scripture is God-breathed, all of it. So we're going to look at just four verses this morning. Will you stand with us as we read the Word of God, Galatians chapter 4? You can turn to Galatians chapter 4. We pick up right where we left off last week in verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Like, do you just want to be a slave? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I may have wasted my efforts on you. Holy Spirit, Lord, you, you anointed this word, you inspired, you breathed this word out, and you wrote this through Paul, the Apostle Paul, and so now breathe on us. Illuminate us to see what is going on here, and Lord, let the fruit of that be freedom. Lord, over and over again, we've been encountering this freedom in the, that happens in the gospel in the book of Galatians. Lord, let us not only just hear about what Jesus did, let the Spirit of God make real to us what Jesus has done. And let us walk out of here loving Jesus more than we did when we walked in. <laughs> and Lord, walking in more freedom than we walked in with. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now to see why this is so startling, uh, I kind of have to catch you up where we are in the story. The earliest believers in Jesus Christ were Jewish converts. They were Jews who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. But as the good news went out to places like Galatia, Gentiles became followers of the faith. They, they put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul in Acts 13 and 14, he preaches in Galatia. He then moves on. After he's gone, some Jewish believers come and they tell these Gentile believers, hey, I'm glad you have faith in Jesus, but in addition to having faith in Jesus, you need to follow the law. And then they pulled out a knife and said, you need to be circumcised. To which the Gentiles, the Galatians, mostly the dudes, said, we didn't know anything about this. This is not what we signed up for, and Paul didn't tell us this. Uh, these Gentile, uh, these Jewish believers then said, well, you know, Paul, he's kind of not, he's kind of a B-postle. He's not really an A-postle. He didn't really hang out with Jesus, uh, and he's just trying to make it easier for you to get into the faith. And by doing that, they were questioning Paul's apostleship, but they were questioning actually more than that. More importantly, they were questioning the gospel, and they were building back the wall between Jew and Gentile that the gospel had destroyed. I mean, this is one of the things. The gospel was supposed to destroy the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, and now they're building it back. And so Paul heard about it, and he wrote quickly back to them with white-hot emotion and razor-sharp logic, 
saying if somebody comes to you and preaches another gospel than the one you received, he can go to hell. That's what he said. He said, let him be eternal. He said, if an angel, or he said, if we come, in other words, if an angel or an apostle comes and preaches another gospel, the fruit of that will only be condemnation because, he says, if it's another gospel, it's no gospel at all. And the result is condemnation. So with the first week that we dived in, dove into this text, we said, what is the gospel? And we learned that the gospel is the good news. That's what the word gospel means. It means good news that Jesus is Lord. In fact, he summarized it in verse 3 of chapter 1. The Lord Jesus Christ, which by the way, when they, when they said Jesus is Lord, that meant Caesar wasn't. The gospel had radical political implications, by the way. The Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. This is kind of his summary of what's going on in the gospel. Jesus is Lord. He's conquered, and he's rescued us. Now, the Jews believed there were two ages, right? There were this present evil age, which is what we live in now, where there's sin, there's brokenness, there's disease, there's broken families, there's cancer, there's death, there's suffering of all sorts. There's that this present age, but then they believed there was coming an age when Messiah would come, and it would be called the coming age, and in the coming age, there would be righteousness, and justice would reign, and the Messiah would make all wrongs right, and there would be, here's the word, shalom. And shalom doesn't just mean peace. It means wholeness, completeness. It means prosperity. It means abundance. It means everything's right. And that day was coming. And what Paul is saying is that when Jesus came, he, not, he rescued us from the present evil age. In other words, the age to come has already begun in the Messiah so that in and through the life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, he has rescued us. The kingdom of God is already here. It's not yet consummated, but it's already here so that by faith in Jesus Christ and what he did, we are forgiven by God. We're accepted by God. We're, just, we're declared righteous by God. And not even that, we're even adopted by God so that we can cry out, Abba. And Abba, we learned last week, is not just a Swedish pop group from Stockholm. That is, Abba, it's Aramaic, it means my father. The gospel says that you're accepted by God. You're forgiven by God. You're justified by God. You're adopted by God. Not because you were really good and you deserved it. Not because you really poured it out for Jesus. I poured out my life for Jesus, so that's why I'm justified. No, it's not any of your good works. Not because you tithe, although do that. But it's not because you read your Bible, do that. It's not because you prayed or served at church or voted as a good citizen. It's not even because you followed the law of God. It is only, ever and always, what Jesus did in my place. That secures my acceptance by God. See, the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. And you're accepted by God. It, 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 so we put our faith in Jesus. That's the gospel. It's what Jesus has done. And as we walk through the first three and a half chapters leading up till today, we said that there's some very practical implications of the gospel. I need to remind you of them before we go into these four verses that we just read. And, and so I'll summarize it this way. If you really let the gospel in, that Jesus is Lord and it's based on, and you're justified by faith in Jesus Christ, if you really let that in, you will never, number one, look down on anyone ever again. How could you? You didn't do anything to save yourself. You didn't, I didn't do one thing to save. I was on death row in chains 
When in the fullness of time, when God got good and ready, the chains fell off, the door of the prison swung open, it clanked open, and I was set free. And it didn't have anything to do with what I did. So how could I ever look down on you? You know, when we were a kid, there was, uh, we were taught to, you know, the way you get a conversation going about the Lord is you ask somebody, you know, if you were to die tonight and you stood before God, what, why, why, should you, why should he accept you? What would you tell him? And, and, and I would submit to you that, that if you begin to answer that question in the first person, you've already missed it. Because I did this. Because I tithed. Because I prayed. Because I had, even, even because I have faith. No, no, no. The only answer to that question is in the third person. Because he. Because Jesus did it already. And I saw this clip just this week from Alistair Begg. Somebody sent it to me. I thought it was outstanding. He said, what about the thief on the cross? He said, I want to meet that dude one day. I go, bro, how did that shit? He didn't say bro because he's Scottish. But he said, not the thief on the cross. Alistair Begg is Scottish. He said, oh, yo, how did that, you know, how did that shake out for you? I mean, there you were on the cross. You had just a few minutes ago been cursing him. And then you're defending him. And then and you never read the Bible. You didn't, you know, you didn't go to church. You didn't take, you know, the next steps class at New Life. You didn't tithe. You didn't give to Uganda. You didn't pray. You didn't, as far as we know, you didn't even pray the sinner's prayer. And yet, you made it. <laughs> You're like, like, you made it. Like, how does that work? And I can imagine, you know, the angel at the gate, you know, having the same question. There he is. There's a thief on the cross. And he's like, what are you doing here? And he says, I don't know. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean I don't know? This is kind of in Beg's kind of picture. He said, what do you mean you don't know? He said, I mean, I don't know. And he goes, well, you, you know, I mean, the, I got to go get my supervisor. <laughs> And he goes and he gets the supervisor angel and he walks back and he goes, look, you know, we just got a couple questions for you. Are, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? And the thief on the cross goes, I, I, don't, even, I don't even know what you're talking about right now. Okay, let's go. What about the doctrine of scripture? Like, do you, do you believe in the plenary and verbal inspiration of scripture? And he goes, I don't even know what you're talking about. And the angel's like, what? then why are you here? And his answer was, because the man on the middle cross said I could come. And listen, that is my answer too. Man, Tim, how come you think you're accepted? Because the guy on the middle cross, he said I can come. And you know what? That's your answer too, Shanette. Because the guy on the middle cross said you could come. And listen, hear me, that is an infallible argument. That never goes wrong. So listen, here's the deal. If you really let the gospel in, you know it ain't anything you did. So how are you ever going to look down on anybody? You can't. It's not just that. But if you really let the gospel in, you will also never be jealous of anyone ever again. You say, well, what do you mean? Here's what I mean. Last week we saw that the gospel says, I'm a son of God. I'm a son of God. I'm an heir. What could you possibly have that's better than that? Huh? What could there possibly exist in the universe that's better than what I got? Jesus is my supreme treasure, and I'm his son. <laughs> like, what's better than that? I got nothing to be jealous of. Man, if you let the gospel in, all the wealth of the universe is like chump change compared to what you got. Get the words right. Chump change compared to what I got? So what? I got nothing to be jealous of ever again. And maybe if I am jealous of something, maybe I'm believing another gospel, which is no gospel at all. See, if you really let the gospel in, you're never going to look down on anyone. You're never going to be jealous of anyone. You're never going to be afraid of anyone ever again. 
I mean, what do I have to fear? My Abba owns the place. And when I say the place, I ain't talking about this building. I'm talking about this universe. We read it as we began the service. A few of you weren't here yet, but just so you know, when we began the service, we read out of Psalm 24 that says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. <laughs> it Abba, my Abba owns everything. Why well, I'm afraid of you. I'm not going to be afraid of you or anybody. And number four, and we didn't get to this last week, but if you really let the gospel in, you will never be controlled by what other people think ever again. Okay. See, you don't have to have the approval of people when you already have God's approval. Right? Paul said in chapter one, he said, I'm not trying to please men. And why does he have to not try to please men? Because of the gospel. In our text today, it says we are known by God. Man, if God knows me and he accepts me, I don't have to try to win your approval to be okay. I don't need anything from you to be okay. Because why? God knows everything about me and he accepts me. So I can just live like you don't owe me anything. You want to talk about being free? Just, just walk around like nobody owes you anything. Then you're never trying to get anything out of anybody. You know what Paul said? This is one of the most fascinating texts we read right over. 1 Corinthians 4. It, it plays into what he says here about the gospel. Verse 3, he says this. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. And you know what? In that sentence right there where it says makes me innocent, the word innocent, you know what that is in Greek? It's justified. He said even, even if I, my conscience is clear, that doesn't justify me. God's the one that justifies me. In other words, I don't care what you think about me. But then, I don't really care what I think about me. It's what God thinks about me that's important because you don't justify me. I don't justify myself. He just justifies me and accepts me. So if you truly let the gospel in, you will never, ever be controlled by what people think of you ever again, not even yourself. Because it doesn't matter what I think about me. Now, I know that goes against everything the world's going to tell you. You're going to walk out this door, and they're going to tell you because the supreme value in our secular age is just be real to yourself. To thine own self be true. Whatever chosen self-identity you have, just be faithful to yourself. The problem with that, among other problems, there's a lot of problems with that. But the biggest problem is not only can you not live up to God's standard, you can't even live up to your own standard. We are constantly accusing ourselves, condemning ourselves, constantly trying to justify ourselves. But because of the gospel, I don't have to do that. If God knows me and knows all the stuff about me that I don't want you to know about me, and he still loves me, he still accepts me, then how can I disparage myself? How can I hate myself? How, how can you hate somebody God has accepted? How can you do that as a follower of Jesus? How can you hate somebody that he's accepted? See, see, some of you, you are controlled by what other people think of you. And, man, it's like you know, you got to do gymnastics and conversations with people because you got to say it just the right thing, just the right way, because you don't want somebody who voted for Biden to be mad at you or somebody who voted for Trump to be mad at you. And, and, and so you got to do, it's like it, we got the Olympics going on right now, and my favorite is the gymnastics. Mostly because I can't do none of that. I can't do any of that stuff. <laughs> I, I once threw my back out unloading the dishwasher, okay? I, that's a true story. That's a true story. I mean, I was like, 
I was doing a wedding that night, and I was walking like this, and what happened to you? I was unloading the dishwasher. You know, it was embarrassing. But you know what? I, that's why I love to watch the gymnastics in the Olympics. But here's the deal. That's what some of y'all do every day. Because i got to say it just right so everybody likes me. It's exhausting is what it is. See, some of you are dealing with some real self-loathing, like putting yourself down, beating yourself up, and you don't even accept yourself. I mean, there's some of you here that you, you don't ever let yourself just feel clean before God like you are. And there's some of you, because you haven't really let the gospel in, that here's what happens. If you did just allow yourself to bask in God's forgiveness, if you did just feel clean and, and feel accepted and feel loved like you are, you would feel guilty for letting yourself feel that way. And what makes it really twisted is you think that's spiritual. You think that's humility. That's not humility. No, I mean, listen. <laughs> Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. See, if you're just there, if you are a smart guy and being humble means you got to believe you're stupid, you're never going to be able to be humble because you're not stupid. You can't believe something that's not true. I mean, that you know to be not true. If you know it's not true, you can't believe it. So being humble is not saying, well, I know I'm really stupid. I'm actually really stupid. That's not humility because you're still thinking of yourself. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. In other words, humility is knowing it ain't even about me. It's not about me. It's about God and what he thinks. And he has justified me by faith in Jesus Christ. He accepts me. <laughs> oh, you guys, there is freedom in the gospel. Don't you want to be free? Don't you want to be free? That's right there. Now onto our text for today. And some of you are going, that was the introduction? Okay. Okay. It's all right. I'm peaking right now. Okay. It's got to say it won't, it won't be much longer. But listen, our text is so startling and, and, and even shocking today because Paul's going to unpack the gospel even further in those four verses. And he's going to show us something that's going to give even more freedom than we had before. You ready for this? Here's the big idea of what he's saying. Hang on with me. Here's the big idea. The only alternative to the gospel is idolatry. Those are the only two options for you. You either believe the gospel or you don't, in which case you're embracing an idol. It's either one or the other. There's only two options. You will either be justified by the one true God who sends his son and sends his Holy Spirit, or you will look to the non-gods... The NIV translates it, who, those who by nature are not gods. Some translations say the non-gods. Because you will look to the, if you're not looking to Jesus and faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to look to the non-gods of paganism. You say, what? Where does he say that? Look at the text again. Verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them over, all over again? What's he saying? He's saying, don't go back to slavery. We said last week, this is a new Exodus story, right? But what happened in Exodus? So, you know, Moses goes and God delivers his people and they get out in the wilderness. And what do they do? They say, let's go back to slavery. 
you know, in the book of Numbers, they even said, you know, let's, let's hire, no, not hire, let's elect a new leader and have him lead us back into slavery. Because sometimes slavery is less demanding than freedom. And Paul's saying, why are you going back? Why are you going back? Now remember, the Galatians were Gentile converts to following Jesus. Previously, they had been pagans who worshipped at temples to other gods or idols. Then they heard the gospel, they put their faith in Jesus, they're justified by faith. Now, Paul says, you're going back to the slavery of paganism. Paganism? How how is it that they're going back to the slavery of paganism? By adding obedience to the law, to faith in Jesus, to be accepted by God. Wait a second, did he just say that? Some of you are going, "I, I don't get it, let me help you put the puzzle pieces together. Paul is saying that trying to earn your acceptance by God through obeying the law, trying trying to earn your acceptance by God by being moral, trying to earn your acceptance by God by being religious is just as much slavery to idols as outright paganism. Yeah, wow is right. This is shocking. Now, to see, how, to see this more clearly, I need to unpack it just a little bit, so I need to be in teacher mode for a few minutes, okay? Last week, we were in preacher mode, okay? Yeah, Kevin was jumping up and down. Yeah, so it was preacher mode last week. Well, this week, I got to go into teacher mode because you need to understand this. So here's my question for you. How many of you think that truly being free would be worth you paying attention for 10 more minutes? Raise your hand. If you think being truly free is worth 10 more, okay. Let's go back to the text. Galatians 4, just a few verses earlier, verse 3, Paul says, When we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. Now, last week we, we talked about this, that the Greek phrase there is stoikia to kosmu, which just means, whenever that's used in Greek, that phrase, it means in ancient Greek literature, it refers to what they saw as the basic building blocks of the world. So earth, water, air, and fire. And you say, well, how can you be enslaved by those things? Well, if you push further into ancient Near Eastern history, you know, especially in Asia Minor, that those elements were deified and worshipped as gods or idols. In fact, in the interior of Asia Minor, it was known for the worship of the Earth Mother. Okay, But there were other gods, and those other gods needed to be worshipped, needed to be appeased. So farmers would sacrifice to the weather god. All right, because they want to appease the weather god so they have good crops. Sailors would sacrifice to Poseidon, the god of the sea. Lovers would sacrifice to the goddess Aphrodite. Soldiers sacrificed to Ares, the god of war, and so on. And whatever you worship, you will serve. So when these pagans were worshiping these false gods, they were enslaved to these false, these, what Paul calls non-gods, because they don't really exist as gods, right? But you're nevertheless in bondage to them because you're trying to appease them. And by constantly, excuse me, sacrificing to them, trying to appease these gods, they became into slavery. Now we get into verse 9 of our text today. And he says, how is it that you are turning back to these weak and miserable principles? Same word in Greek as verse 3. So Paul is saying, (laughs) get this now, this is shocking. If you try to earn your acceptance by God through obedience to God by following the law, you are leaving the gospel and you're heading back to paganism. 
Remember, the only alternative to the gospel is idolatry. You either receive salvation as a gift because you trust Jesus and what he did, or you try to earn your salvation by becoming your own savior and appeasing the gods by your behavior. Those are your only two options. And if you walk away from the gospel, you're choosing idolatry. And just so we're clear about what idolatry really truly is, it's not just a carved image that you set up you know, and bow down to. An idol is anyone or anything that occupies the place God alone should occupy. I'm, I'm going to say it again so that you can tweet it. Preferably after the service. An idol is anyone or anything that occupies the place that God alone should occupy. It could be a good thing. It could be a good thing. But when you make it into an ultimate thing, a thing that you've got to have to be okay, it becomes the ultimate thing in your life. Now it's no longer a good thing. It's an idol. Let me give you an example. Making money to support your family. That's a good thing. Okay? Do that. After church, go do that. You know, have a job. Be successful. I pray for all of you that God blesses you. Did you know that? I I want God to bless all of you. I want you to just, like that text in 2 Corinthians 9, so that you'll have an abundance and in every situation you can be generous. Oh, yeah. Man, I want us to be a church that has an abundance so we can give all over the place. Helping people and blessing people. I want you to be blessed. My birthday is November 21st. I want you to be blessed, okay? And that's a good thing, but here's the deal. As soon as making money becomes the ultimate thing, as soon as it's the thing in your life that, I feel good about myself. Why? Because I work hard and I make money. When that becomes the thing that justifies you, you no longer have money. What you have now is mammon, a false god. He is a terrible false god. And if you're serving that false god, you know what you're going to do? You're going to sacrifice to him. Yeah. Oh, yeah, if the the ultimate thing in your life that makes you feel good about yourself is that you make money, you know what you're going to do? You might sacrifice your family for that. You might sacrifice your health for that. You might not eat right. You might not exercise every. You might get up early. You might go to bed late. You you might not even sleep at all because it's most, you've got to have it. And listen, when you've got to have it, when money becomes ultimate, here's the deal. Now you're sacrificing to mammon, and guess what? You are enslaved. You don't have the gospel anymore. You have idolatry. And if anything other than Jesus becomes the requirement for you to be okay, if anything other than Jesus is what you need to be happy, if anything other than Jesus is what you need to feel worthy, okay, I can take up space on the earth. I can take up oxygen because, you know, I got this. Then that thing has become your slave master and you will obey it. You will serve it, and you will constantly be trying to grasp it and achieve it, because why? It's your God, and you need it to be justified, and when that happens, you're enslaved to it. See, you either get the freedom of the gospel or slavery to idols. That's the only two choices. You know what the real error of the Galatians was at its heart? At its heart. The real error the Galatians were making was they were saying that the sacrifice of Jesus was not enough to make them acceptable to God. The cross was good, you know, it's good, Jesus. But I got to add to it. 
It wasn't sufficient. You know, it was good. Jesus, I'm really glad for the cross. Really, it really helped us out. But now i got to take my good works and add them to because the cross was insufficient to make us acceptable to God is what they were saying. And before you judge them too quickly, you should know that every time we say we need other things to be okay, we're doing the same thing. Jesus, you're pretty awesome, but not enough. That's what we're saying. Man, when you got to have your idol in order to feel happy, to feel good, to feel, okay, I'm okay. I can take up oxygen on this planet. When you get there, you are saying, Jesus, you're cool, but not enough. And listen, one of the ways you know you have an idol is if there's something in your life that you can't let go of. If you have to have it like an addict needs a next fix. And, and by the way, by the way, there's a lot of parallels between addiction and idolatry. They're very similar. And if you, Holy Spirit, help us with this, please. If you are bitter because of what someone did to you and you cannot forgive them, most often, not always, but most often, the issue is not ultimately what they did to you, but what your heart has made of the thing you lost. Because what you lost, you've got to have to be okay. And, and for many people, the reason you have trouble forgiving is what your heart has made of what they took for you. It's become an idol. And listen to me, please. You want to be free? Do, do you guys want to be free? Okay. The only way to be free is the gospel. It's to find your total fulfillment in God. When you get your approval from God, your acceptance from him, your justification from him, your fulfillment for him, when you make Jesus your supreme treasure, then you can turn to your idol, look it right in the face and say, I don't need you. Listen, when you say that and you can really mean it, and you really mean, I don't need you because I'm getting everything from him. I'm getting my acceptance from him, my justification from him, my worth, my sense of value. I have unsurpassable worth. Why? Because Jesus paid an unsurpassable price. When you're getting it from him, you can look at the idol and say, I don't need you anymore, sucker. And then instantly, the power of the idol is gone because they are non-gods. You don't need that idol. See, a lot of times, you know what else? Let's just go a step further. Might as well. I'm probably already going to get some emails, okay? So might as well keep on going. A, a lot of times, yeah, there you go. A lot of times, we you know what we do? We carry guilt and shame even though we know God's forgiven us. We carry around a bunch of shame from our past even though the scripture says as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. He's thrown our sins in the sea of forgetfulness. He, he, he's laid our iniquities on Jesus, right? He, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. God made him who had no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteous. I can do this all day, okay? It's like Captain America. I can do this all day, all right? And we know all those verses. We know all of them, and yet we walk around carrying shame. And you will hear people say stuff like this. I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. You ever heard that? Have you ever said that? A few of you have because you said it to me. 
listen, first of all, first of all, <laughs> listen, here's the deal. First of all, when you say that, you're saying your standards are higher than God's, which is kind of silly. So, you know, but ultimately what's happening when you say that? Most of the time, if you can't forgive yourself, it's not because of what you did. It's because what your heart has made of what you lost. So if you screwed up and you lost your career and you just can't forgive yourself for that, you know what? Your career was your idol. It was your, it's what you needed to be okay. If it was a relationship that you hurt or if it was, it was something else that you did and, and, and you lost something and, and, and you just can't forgive yourself. Listen, if you hate yourself, it's because you failed your idol. There was something that you needed to be okay and you don't have it so you're not okay. Listen, the only alternative to living in bitterness and despair is the gospel. <laughs> to let it in. You say, well, how do you do that? Well, I think the whole book of Galatians is about that, okay? But don't worry, we're not going to preach the whole book. There's verse 9 in our text gives us the clue. Paul says this, you know God, or rather, are known by God. And listen, to know someone in the Bible meant more than an intellectual awareness that they exist, okay? It, wasn't, it was more than that. It, to know in the Bible means you enter into a relationship with them. See, it's one thing to know of somebody. Yeah, I've heard of them, you know. It's another thing to meet somebody. You say, I know them. It's altogether another thing to be known by somebody. I mean, in the first century, everyone knew of Caesar, but very few people had actually met Caesar, and even less people could say, Caesar knows me, so that Caesar's talking about me. Because if Caesar's talking about you, that gives you great honor, great prestige. Paul isn't talking about a man here. He isn't talking about Caesar. He's talking about the fact that God knows you. And Paul is reminding us that the gospel shows us we don't have to make ourselves beautiful. We don't have to make ourselves lovable to God. He already knows us. And knows us all the way to the bottom. Everything about us, the stuff that, 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 that we don't want everybody else to know, he already knows. He knows stuff. You know, there's stuff deep down inside of you. The memories and, and feelings and, and subconscious beliefs that you don't even know about you. But he does. He knows you to the bottom. And because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, he accepts you. The man on the middle cross, he said you could come. And he knows what he's saying because he knows you. He adopts you. See, the answer, how we rid ourselves of these idols, is the gospel. It's not enough, you guys. It's not even enough to say, I know of God. That, that's not enough. It's not enough to say, even, you know, I know about God. Like, I know some doctrines I could recite to you about him. No, I want to know him. Because if you really know him, and you truly see him, and, and, and he is your supreme treasure, and, and, and it's the most beautiful thing in the world, he's what you really want, then everything else, all these would-be idols... They look like nothing compared to him because you know him. And you know what's even better than that? I don't even hang my hat on the fact that I know him. I hang my hat on the fact that he knows me. My assurance is found in the fact he knows me. Tim Keller put it this way. He said it better. I tried to reword this, and then I couldn't. So it's just better than I, so I'm just going to quote him. 
Tim Keller says, the great and central basis of Christian assurance is not how much our hearts are set on God, but how unshakably his heart is set on us. In other words, you guys, at the end of the day, it's not about how faithful I can be. It's how faithful he already is and will always be. See, in the gospel, performance and popularity mean nothing. Knowing God and being known by him mean everything. And God has done, listen, you guys, everything God has done, he has done so you would know him. Creation. He created the entire universe so he could put earth in this little corner of the universe and he could put us on us so he could know us. And we could know him. The incarnation. God came. He took on human flesh. Jesus was born. A baby grew up. He breathed our air. He suffered what we suffer. He took my punishment. Why would he do that? So I could know him and be known by him. And then he did everything in redemption. I mean, I mean from Good Friday. Being beaten and crucified, being put in a tomb, dead and buried, rising again back to life on Easter Sunday morning, ascending into heaven, sending the Holy Spirit, which is part of redemption. He sent the Holy Spirit, and there's coming a day there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and all the right wrongs are going to be made right. Why would he do all that? So I could know him and be known by him. And you too. Because see, only by knowing him will you see that he really is all you need, that you don't need that idol. And when you begin to grasp and truly let the gospel in and understand that we're known by him and you begin to experience the freedom of the gospel and don't worship any other idol, you'll realize, I love this one who poured it all out for me. And nothing else compares And the reason I can come to him is because the man in the middle cross said I could come. 